Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. folks and welcome to woke af daily with me your girl danielle moody right here live from my bunker on long island all right folks make sure that you are subscribing and telling your friends to subscribe to pm mood wherever you get your podcast spotify google play itunes any of those spots Put in PM Mood and you will get Woke AF Daily for free for the next two weeks, okay? It is my quarantine stay safe as fuck special gift to all of you. Folks, a couple of very interesting stories have been bubbling around. But first I want to take on a Twitter hater that came at me this week. I posted an article that is incredibly important, one which I will get into uh, today, came out in CNN that the director of a key federal vaccine agency says that his departure from that agency and being moved to a different place is a part of retaliation. And I tweeted, right, and and let let me tell you a little bit and then I'll tell you a bit about the tweet. So this is from the article and I'm gonna read it verbatim because I want you to really wrap your mind around all of the other things that are taking place that are completely fucking our ability to quote unquote reopen and to recover, right? Um, in, in a real way. And it is because of Trump's ego, because of his greed, and because of his lies, right? That we are in this predicament where we, America is inching towards 1 million coronavirus cases, right? It is right now at 800, uh, a bit over 800,000. That is in many places uh, about eight times more, eight times more cases than any other nation. We know that New York, where I am, is the epicenter and 
We know this because the governor here is doing the most testing. What we are learning from scientists, if you pay attention to them, from listening to the CDC and others that are saying that in order for us to reopen successfully without there being a second wave that is worse, imagine, than the first wave of the coronavirus, we need to be able to ramp up testing to test at least 20 million people a day. Do you know how many people we have tested? Four million. And that is not four million. We have issued four million tests. That is not necessarily on four million different people. And that has happened over the course of a month. More than a month. So this is what the director of, well, former director of Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, which I'd never heard of until this article, because what we are learning now uh, through this crisis is how many agencies we don't actually know about, but that are working on behalf of the American people and trying to keep us safe. So let me read you this. The director of the office involved in developing a coronavirus vaccine says he was abruptly dismissed from his post in part because he resisted efforts to widen the availability of coronavirus treatments pushed by President Donald Trump. Now, mind you, Trump, not a fucking doctor, right? He's actually a quack and pushing either conspiracy theories or medicate drugs and medication that are developed by his donors. So why would you push that? Oh, so that the federal government then pays his cronies, right? And they get a big fat contract. Not because what he's pushing actually fucking works. Let me go on. Dr. Rick Bright had led BARDA, the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, since 2016 until Tuesday, when he was reassigned to a narrower position. He also announced that he will file a whistleblower complaint with the Department of Health and Human Services Inspector General. Here is what he said. I believe this transfer was in response to my insistence that the government invest the billions of dollars allocated by Congress to address the COVID-19 pandemic into safe and scientifically vetted solutions and not in drugs, vaccines, and other technologies that lack scientific merit. Bright said in a lengthy statement issued Wednesday, I am speaking out because to combat this deadly virus, science, not politics or cronyism, has to lead the way. So we are in the midst of a global pandemic. And mind you, that before Dr. Rick Bright was assigned came back into this position as, as the director in 2016, he had the role back in 2010. So he had been doing this work, right? This position leading biomedical advanced research so that when a situation like we're currently in comes around, there are people that are dedicated to finding, to understanding the problem and figuring out a solution for it. But because Dr. Rick Bright 
decided not to push the malaria medication that the president of the United States is pushing because he's not pushing the bullshit that is coming out of this administration, right? And this rush to reopen, he was reassigned. Because if you do not lift up Trump's lies, if you do not support his quack theories, you lose your job. We have seen this play out time and time and time again. And now we're reassigning fucking doctors who want to pay attention and urge us to pay attention to science and data. We're reassigning them because truth cannot exist at the same time in the Trump administration as profit does, right? So essentially what the president of the United States and everyone around him, even Dr. Fauci, who consistently walks back statements that he said, he said not but a few weeks ago, if we had started earlier, we wouldn't be in such a bad situation. But he had to walk that back. Why? Because then all eyes go on the Trump administration and we start to ask questions of them like, why didn't you do anything with the two and three months head start that you were given? Why didn't you put together any plans? Why didn't you bolster the income, the resources to agencies like BARDA, to HHS, to FEMA? You knew this was coming, right? Why were there still governors begging for ventilators? Why do we have, right, governors negotiating trade deals with foreign entities instead of the federal government, right? So when we have these doctors who want to tell the American people the truth and be transparent about it, Yes, this is uncomfortable. Yes, it fucking sucks, right? 22 million people are out of work. And that number, that number will continue to grow. So we cannot just shrug off the fact that this doctor was essentially fired. Now, they can tell you that he was transitioned, that he's moved to a different place, but he will look at you and say, no, this is political retaliation. He is a symbol now. So what other doctors are going to decide to go the route of the Dr. Oz's of the world, right? And say, "Eh, you know what? We can send people back. We'll send kids back to school, right? Only two or three million of them will die. I mean, that's worth it, right? A bunch of, you know, just two or three million dead kids out of 76 million that are in the public school system. Who the fuck cares? Right? We need more people that are willing to go along with Donald Trump's fucking charade and have people killed. And so here's what I did. Let me go back to Twitter now. So I post this article the CNN one. And I say, so basically we are fucked, right? 
Trump is sidelining the director because he doesn't want to promote his quack theories and instead wants to follow science. In a party that doesn't believe in science, that doesn't believe in data, you know, they go with their gut. I wonder what your gut tells you when it's filled with COVID. I have no idea. We should ask somebody. But what a commenter said to me was, you know, the 24-7 anti-Trump stance hasn't worked and won't work. Try a more reasonable approach that goes after wrongdoing by both parties. This will help to restore your damaged credibility. The Danielle that attacked Pelosi last year was your best form. Don't do what AOC did. And so... Here's my response to that level of stupidity and bullshit, which is this. First of all, I did not attack Nancy Pelosi. I simply said that she needed to get her shit together, right? She needed to do something about impeachment instead of praying for the president as she was several months ago, a year ago, right? We needed Nancy Pelosi to be moving. Right. And she finally did. When the Democrats do what they're supposed to do, I have no qualms with them when they don't. And I see an opportunity for a deep and grave improvement. Then I fucking announce it. There is no both sides to what is the covid pandemic and the covid American crisis. There is no both sides. There is one party that is in charge of this situation, and that is the Republican Party. That is the Trump administration. And their negligence and their fucking lives have cost, so far, over 40,000 lives. So no, I'm not going to play the both sides. You mean, and this was my response. I said, you know, what exactly do you think that Democrats are doing wrong right now? Is it trying to get money? to suffering small businesses instead of Trump's donors? Is it trying to include measures for voting in the stimulus? Is it trying to make sure that, oh, I don't, for whatever reason, Trump doesn't want to fund the U.S. Postal Service, right? Doesn't want to fund that at all, which is struggling during this time. So trying to include that? Is it trying to protect the most vulnerable among us? Right? But they keep having to make compromises with a party that wants to kill a large part of the population because opening up the fucking economy is more important. Right? Making sure that CEOs and shareholders continue to make money on the backs of sick, brown, and black people is more important. So... There isn't both sides. So I'm not going to play that fucking game. Because that's what it is. It's the game that fucking got us into the situation with Trump in the first place. Because if the media and people didn't see him as the golden goose for their fucking ratings and called him a racist and a misogynist and didn't cover his bullshit, he wouldn't have ascended. Right? If we didn't then after his ascent and after he becomes president, have, you know, Republicans and Democrats on television talking as if Democrats are just as bad as Republicans when you have one party that is banning religions from entering the country. 
that is now using, currently using, the coronavirus as a way to halt immigration. Newsflash, it's not the fucking immigrants that are causing the spread of this virus. It's the fucking idiots in MAGA hats who are breaking social distancing laws, who don't believe in the virus because that motherfucker told them that it was a hoax, and that's what they believe. So I'm not going to play the both sides game because it's bullshit. There is a party that has now become the arbiters of death, and there is a party that is trying to stop people from dying. That's the cold, hard truth. That's the reality of where we are and where we've gotten. How did we get here? Well, that's a story for another day. But put it this way, that when you make an enemy of the media and you tell people not to trust them, that everything that they put out is fake news, right? That science doesn't matter, that climate change isn't real, that all of this shit is all in our heads. Then in the midst of crisis, they're now questioning whether or not they should believe what they're being told by the media because you've spent three and a half years telling them not to believe. That's how this virus is spreading. Because of fucking stupidity. So I will not pretend that there are two sides because there aren't. I will not pretend that the Republican Party is anything but a bunch of greedy, evil, soulless people. I won't pretend because I believe in Maya Angelou's adage. I believe that when people show you who they are, you should believe them. There is nothing that this party has shown us over the past decade of existence. If you if you were an alien and you just happened to land on Earth 10 years ago, you would know everything you needed to know about the Republican Party and what it has morphed into. You know, we had Kurt Bardella on the show talking about all of these Republicans how when he was working for working with uh, his former boss Daryl Issa, all of this government oversight because you know the executive branch can't have overreach and states have rights and Obama is lawless. Obama didn't do not even a, a, like there there is no fucking comparison. I can't even give you the the mathematical percentage of what he could have done or what they perceive to have done because it's just nonsensical. You have a president that has asked for foreign interference. You have a president that did not show the American people his taxes. You have a president that hired his son and his son-in-law and his daughter to be his advisors. Nepotism. They are all getting rich off of the presidency. Breaking of the emoluments clause. They lied about Russian interference in the 2016 election. Now we find out through a bipartisan Republican-led Senate, Senate Intel Committee report, oh yes, there was in fact Russian interference. We fucking know that. Right? But you have William Barr, 
that was willing to lie about the Mueller, the findings of the Mueller report. You had, you know, Mick Mulvaney screaming that quid pro quo, we do it all the time. Since fucking when? Where are all those aggrieved and outraged Republicans at Obama's overstepping at Trump's declaration of total and complete authority? The reason why America was founded was because of people running from the monarchy, right? Because they wanted to, the people to govern, right? We, the people, that's what this is supposed to be about. That's what this project was supposed to be about. But Donald Trump and the Republicans have anointed, have, they've anointed him. All he's missing is the crown and scepter. So when you hear people saying to you, like that there are two sides to this, I guess because there is a right side and a wrong one. That's it. There's nothing up to debate here. You see how the country is getting ready to fucking explode. I guarantee you, I guarantee you that by the time we get to a month from now, that the coronavirus cases in these southern states that have decided to follow Trump and open up because, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do because liberty, you will see an explosion. Because... The only thing that we can do to stop this virus until there is a vaccine that has been tested and that if, unless we have uh, every CVS, Dwayne Reed, grocery store pharmacy able to provide tests for anybody whenever they want them, only thing that we have to use against this virus is social distancing is staying the fucking side on lockdown and staying six feet apart. That is what has been the key to the beginning of the flattening of the curve here in New York. That is it. So you have now, in these southern areas, led by Republicans, gonna open everything back up because the economy is the most important thing. And when their health systems collapse right? And people start dying in the street, maybe they'll reconsider. But they won't have anybody to blame but themselves. You know, maybe they're hoping that the people that will vote against, you know, that would vote against them will all die, you know, so that they can remain in power and everyone's memory won't be that long. As soon as people start having sick kids, sick teachers, Right, because they're going to open everything back up. So the kids in Oklahoma are going back to school. The kids in Georgia are going back to school. Going to the parks. Going to the hairdresser. Going to the salons. Just going to pretend that none of this ever happened. And if you get sick, you get sick. And if you die, you die. We're going to see an explosion. And I want to know what the protesters are going to do then. Where are they going to be then? Because they sure as hell shouldn't be in anybody's hospital bed. That's for damn sure. You know, I wish, I wish that you, we, we would take down the names of all of the people 
that decided to protest. And that when any of those names showed up at a hospital seeking help because they think that they have the symptoms or they think that they've caught the virus, that they're sent home. Because there are people that are actually doing right and actually adhering to the rules and falling ill. But you're bucking the system, so buck the healthcare system too. And stay the fuck at home. There is no two sides to what is happening right now. We have a wayward, criminal, lawless party that has very little care for people's lives. And I truly believe, and you know, I've had my own dinner table arguments. I truly believe that if this virus was killing white people, At the rate in which it is killing black and Latinx people, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. But just trust, those people are being killed first because they live in densely populated areas in cities that Donald Trump doesn't feel like he needs for re-election. But this virus doesn't know borders and boundaries. It doesn't know inner city from suburb. It will get to you in Oklahoma. It will get to you in your rural areas of Tennessee and Georgia. It will come to you. Just wait. And so when you're too sick to go to work, then what are you going to do? Hmm? When all the healthcare systems are now overrun, right? Then what are you going to do? Because the federal government ain't doing shit for you. Except stoking fear and trying to create a second world war by telling people that their guns are going to be confiscated, which no one has mentioned except for Donald Trump. I'm just so tired of the bullshit. I'm tired of the lies. And And it's because... People are dying. People are dying. And we've never seen this kind of death. This time, this kind of destruction. And so you would think, you know, that sheltering in place, right? If you are lucky to do so, if you are fortunate to still have a roof over your head right now, that's not something to protest. That's something to be grateful for. I want things to open up like everybody else does. Right? I want to see my friends. I want to go out and record in an actual studio. I want to go and reclaim my life. But until it's safe, we're better off doing what we're doing because we know that it's working. And giving the researchers and the doctors and the nurses and the grocery store clerks and everybody that is working on our behalf a fucking break. By not being a strain on the system. You know, if I were the people of Georgia, if I were those businesses, I wouldn't reopen. I would stay closed. I would stay safe. 
Because if your leaders are not going to do that for you, then you need to do it for yourself. You know, every day that I wake up here in New York, I am thankful. And people think that that's crazy, except for new other New Yorkers. I am thankful to have competent leadership at all levels. I'm thankful for people that I can trust to do the right thing because they care more about people's lives. I believe it when I see Governor Cuomo and saying, yes, are the numbers of deaths dropping? Yes, but still over 400 people died in New York yesterday from COVID-19. Over 400. That is too fucking many. Because those are real people that are dying. They're not just numbers. So I want leadership that is compassionate, that is thoughtful, and that is relying on science and facts and the truth. And I know that when New York begins to reopen at some point, I know that he will have done the right work, the necessary work to make sure that we are safe. And I can't say that about anybody else who isn't a Democrat and leading a state right now. And that should scare the shit out of everyone. You know, a majority, the polls come out, a majority of people believe that we should stay closed. Like 58% of Americans. So this little life that the media has given into these protesters You know, they really shouldn't because it just perpetuates just stupidity and it gives them voice and it gives them life. And right now they don't deserve either. I am really excited to welcome to Woke AF Daily both April Grayson, who is the statewide coordinator for the Young Women's Freedom Center, and Adnan Khan, who is the executive director of Restore Justice. I'm excited to have the both of you on uh, joining today because I feel like the conversation that is being missed around the coronavirus is the discussion of another vulnerable population, which is those folks that are incarcerated. And, you know, much in the same way that there have been outbreaks, per se, at, at nursing homes, the same thing is happening in our prison system. And it's a population of people, unlike nursing homes, that clearly we don't really care a lot about. Um, and I want to talk to the both of you about, one, you both have been formerly incarcerated during times of other outbreaks, whether it be H1N1, SARS, or um, Legionnaire's disease, or other things. Can you speak to us about the experience of what it is like to be in lockdown in the midst of a pandemic and how you're, and how you're treated and what, um, what precautions, if any, are taken to care for um, prisoners. So uh, to, to those folks that are incarcerated, uh, Adnan, I'll start with you. Um, just tell us a bit about your experience um, and your understanding of what's happening right now. Yeah, my experience with quarantines and viruses that uh, attack the prison system um, have been actually very terrible. Our prison system is, is not set up to uh, defend 
or, or uh, defeat any type of virus that comes in there. Prisons are traditionally, I mean, historically built um, with punishment in mind, like the architecture mm-hmm. of it. Uh, and so they're not built with hospitals or hospitality in mind. So when the viruses hit, in my experience, I remember um, it, it was like an onslaught. There's no escaping it. And you couple that with mass incarceration, meaning volume of people that are inside these facilities. Um, it's very, very difficult to escape it. Um, right now in COVID-19, one of the solutions or suggestions that were given by Dr. Fauci, for example, is stay uh, you know, six feet apart. That's one example. Well, right. I lived in a building with 900 people Mm-hmm. Um, on the tier or the floor that I lived on was with 100 people, and that tier was only three feet wide. Wow. And we're sharing, we're sharing, yeah, we're sharing not just that tier with 100 incarcerated people, but with medical staff that come by for to give pills, um, with correctional officers who escort them, correctional officers who have to pass out food and mail. Um, so we're sharing that tier with more than just incarcerated people. Okay. April, what was your, what, what was your experience like as well? Because I mean, again, it sounds, you know, these, what we are learning really is that social distancing is a privilege, right? If you are in an environment where there is a lot of space and you are able to do that, uh, and you're able to be the six feet apart, we're learning now that that is a privilege, that it is not something that it can be done in densely populated places. It cannot be done in prisons. Um, what was your experience like? I, my experience um, is similar to Adnan's. We are 256 to a unit. We're eight to a cell. 64 to a hallway and so we to get six feet in a cell like one person would have to be at one end of the cell and the other person would have to be at the door trying to leave it out the cell and so we would never have been able to obtain that because your bunkie lives directly above you Mm -hmm. Um, but i just really recall looking out of a window one day and watching the medical staff come in with a face mask on Mm-hmm. And so I personally am not a fan of the news because I, I believe it's a tool to, to cause fear within the people. So I didn't really watch the news. I wasn't really aware of what was going on, but I just remember watching this staff with this mask on. And my thought was, why does she need a mask? Mm-hmm. I'm the one who's only susceptible or vulnerable if she brings it to me. Right. But they had this, this you, you could feel like this, energy of like we were the contaminated ones mm. so like even right now in the institution like there's this energy of they're the ones that are contaminated and they're the ones that they need the officers need to be fearful of but that's not the case this is a very sterile population we are a very sterile population and so just knowing that if a person doesn't have humanity meaning the officer doesn't have humanity if the medical staff doesn't have humanity they're treating me as if I'm the problem. Yeah, yeah. And that's what Danielle, I can I jump in uh, for yeah, a second? And yeah, please. Yeah, I just want to comment on quote unquote social distancing. Uh, yeah. I do want to, I want to, I just want to clarify to our viewers, or sorry, our listeners, uh, that social distancing is mm-hmm. possible in prison. As mm-hmm. a matter of fact, I was sentenced to social distance. Mm. Um, physical distancing is completely impossible. Right, right. Right, right, and that that is a that is a, a point of clarification. 
you know, it, one of the things that has been going around on the news as well is the fact that uh, those f- folks that are currently incarcerated are being forced, right, used as manual labor to make hand sanitizer that they're not able to use because it has alcohol in it and, al- and having alcohol is against the rules. How does that even, how, how does that work? And, 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 and being paid, I think I heard in one report that it was like 16 cents a day uh, to be making gallons and gallons of hand sanitizer. What are, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Look, can I talk about this one? And it's yeah. not, so I want to talk about the face mask mm-hmm. also. Oh, so yes, the yes. Prison, in the women's prison in CIW, mm-hmm. the, the PIA workers were making, and PIA is like the state worker who makes, who manufactures massive goods for different prisons and different entities, and they get paid menial amounts of money. Mm-hmm. And so they were making face masks that they couldn't even utilize. So let's not even talk about the thing with the alcohol because of the alcohol content. That's the reason why. Let's talk about the thing that they could have that they weren't getting immediately because they had to give it out to other people and make sure others had it before they themselves could could get this face mask. And so now throughout these weeks, the face masks are now being distributed to the population, but it took two and three weeks for the people who are actually making them to get them. So we could talk about hand sanitizer, which say, oh, it has alcohol, but let's talk about the face mask, which doesn't. Right. What was your reasoning for not giving them the maker of the face mask? Who was making it at slave wages and can I? Right. I April, mean, April, I'm please. sorry. I'm sorry, Danielle. No, go I, ahead. I just, go ahead. I, I, April and I had this discussion so many times, and I would love for, if you don't mind, April, talk about the immediately post 13th Amendment and how people were incarcerated to be laborers, to be workers? Yeah, so this is one of my favorite topics, of course, is um, Amendment 13 and when they abolished slavery. So you abolish slavery with the clause of unless a person commits a crime or if a person commits a crime, but we're still in, in the dawn of criminalization of black people because you still wanted to have slave labor. Like the war wasn't fought over industries. It was really fought over, well, it was over industries, but over people. So that could go far, but I'm not gonna go too far. But once they abolished slavery, they thus started, you couldn't drink out of a water fountain, you're going to jail. If you didn't drop your head when they called you boy, you were going to jail. If they, uh, if they said that you whistled at a white woman, which we know you weren't, you were going to jail. Any, or they you were gonna be murdered, reason, yeah. They had any reason to arrest. Mm-hmm. That's the start of mass incarceration. So they've been trying to get free labor since the 1800s, the 1700s, the 1600s, since the beginning of colonization. And, so and they will get straight. They, I'm sorry. They will get. They will get sent straight back to the plantations, and many would go right back to the plantations that, uh, as now as an incarcerated person, that they were quote unquote freed from. Um, so you fast forward a hundred some years later, that mm-hmm. using incarcerated people as workers and paying them pennies or nothing in many facilities. Um, it just goes back to uh, their industry, the complex of an industry and businesses. And if we're talking about public safety, um, I believe rehabilitation achieves public safety. So when you re- release, there's 600,000 people come out every year out of our prisons nationally, 600,000. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I worked, I'll, I'll give you an example. I didn't work for hand sanitizer or anything. I, was, I just got, I was released last year. But an example of one of my jobs was I worked in the kitchen. I cleaned almost 4,000 trays every single day. 
uh, for eight hours and I was paid eight cents an hour. Wow. And I remember wow. I was in a facility where I was given an opportunity, where first, first time in my incarceration, 12 years later, I was given uh, an opportunity to join self-help groups and programs and which I immediately got into. But one day I come back to my cell and uh, April, you know, the I had a work assignment card on my top bunk, on my bunk. And I knew immediately what it was. I looked at it, I'm like, oh, they just assigned me to a job, which meant my job, which is eight cents an hour, is my priority, not my rehabilitation. So I had to leave my classes that I was taking for my childhood development, my childhood trauma, my whatever it was that I was taking. I had to leave those because priority in prison is work. Wow. I mean, how do you, you know, it, it, it seems so difficult, like an uphill battle to advocate for a population that isn't that isn't being that isn't looked at as re rehabilitating re, rehabilitating right like you we say we we say that we we want folks to be rehabilitated we want you to re-enter society and all of these things but then we don't treat you like human beings while you're actually supposed to be going through this rehabilitation process so how do you how do you set up your ability to advocate for a population that is that is shrugged off. So this is a tough one because yes, just yesterday I was reading comments on um, one of the posts that Represent Justice has posted, and looking at these comments that these people are answering, like it's beyond me the 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 lack of humanity for people. It is beyond me how right. they don't see people as people. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it, it's, it's, so if you don't look like same as the news, if you don't watch it, you don't really pay attention to it and you can just keep going on because like my fight is for the almost 8,000 women that are incarcerated in California. And I'm going to continue to fight. My fight is for anybody incarcerated, but of course my population I'm going to continue to fight for is the incar the women's population because I feel like we are an underserviced population. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just, for me, I know what I came out here to do and I know what I was lacking when I was incarcerated. Yeah. And so if not me, then who else? Like if not Adnan, then who else? Like who else can speak to a situation with as much insight as us with the passion, with the determination and know like when you think about the incarcerated people, like had this have happened a year before I came home. So I had gained extra time on my sentence. So I had gained two extra years out for disciplinary action. But for the last 10 years, I had ran a perfect program. Had this mm. had hit during the end of my sentence, I wouldn't have been able to come home. I would still be incarcerated. But look at who I am today. I've been home five years. So you're saying that a year before my, my, my release date, I wasn't redeemable. That's what they're saying, that these people aren't redeemable. Who has the value of a person? Who can determine yeah. the value of a person? And the people who are the determining people are people who are not marginalized, who have never been affected, who, in my opinion, like if you think, of, so I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. They're just people who have never experienced and they're looking at, at, at people as a whole as these black and these brown people, the most marginalized communities and they're judging them. But we've been judged our whole entire lives. Like we've always, we've never had a chance. We've always been the community that couldn't vote, the community that had to work for free. We were the community that were taken from our families. We were the communities that were killed off because of diseases. Like we've always been the guinea pig population. And so here we are now, I saw a comment that somebody said, oh, we'll test the vaccine on them. 
oh, so now we're another guinea pig population. My suggestion would be for everyone, whether you are an advocate or not, if you have not been inside of a prison, please go visit someone and have a conversation. Don't mm. tour the prison like a zoo. Go have a conversation with people, men and women who are incarcerated, for one. That would be one of my uh, suggestions. And then if you want to come back after that uh, couple hour conversation and say, you know what, I went in there and they're monsters, they're crazy, so be it, right? If that's your, if that's your answer afterwards, so be it. But my suggestion is, Go in there. I dare you. I challenge you to have a conversation with someone that's currently incarcerated. That's one. The second argument I want to make is more of the, you know, the fiscal argument. Now, what, what I don't understand, people don't want to listen to the ethos or pathos, the experience or, or, or the empathy part of it. And most people don't care. Um, mm -hmm. Then think about how your money, when you go to work and those taxes, that, that check comes and all that, that big, uh, you know, uh, amount of dollars is missing. Think about where that's going and how that is being spent towards public safety. So nationally, we spend $80 billion a year on our prison and jail fa prisons facilities nationally. $80 billion. Eight billion. Eight zero. The next thing wow. above that that, we, that the government spends, I believe, is military. So it's military, then right below that is prisons, right? That's where our tax dollars are going. That's one. However, nationally, there's a 65, it, it wage goes, I mean, a uh, uh, fluctuates 65 to 70% recidivism rate in our country. So having said that, if there was any other business, they had a 70% recall rate. Don't you think that would be shut down or some type of eyes would be on it? If there was a car company, for example, mm -hmm. if there was a car company that had a 70% recall rate, don't you think that the Better Business Bureau would shut that company down? If there was some food like meat, like a meat company, and they were selling meat, and 70% of the meat was being recalled because it was, not safety, it was not safe for public, don't you think it would be shut down? But when it comes to our prisons, they have a 70% recall rate, and that 70% is linked directly to uh, a lack of housing and employment opportunities for people, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So the accountability doesn't, that 70% accountability doesn't fall on the individual themselves. That actually, that, that is actually the government's responsibility to provide safe housing and proper financial aid. And you know, so that's, it, yeah, I'm sorry. I no, can no, go on, for, I'm sorry, no, I'm getting no, fired no, up. No, 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 this is, this is great because when I think about it, you know, we talk about the prison industrial complex. We talk about the privatization of prisons. We talk about the fact that, you know, we sp the amount of money that you just are, are talking about, we don't even put into education in this country. We don't even put it, that money into public education, let alone we're in the middle of a global friggin' pandemic. We don't put that, we don't put that money into our healthcare system. Do you know what I'm saying? So it, it's just like when you think about it, like you're saying, if you don't want to think about, people humanity right and and like what is what is good and what is right and what is just if you just look at the economics of it it's failing right it's failing and that you have to ask yourself who makes money you know who are the people that are making the money off of this right because that's why there's no change that's why there's no shift because if you couldn't profit off of other people's pain then this wouldn't then it wouldn't be a thing and Amen. we're a country built on somebody always having to be higher and lesser than people. Correct. Like we're built on colonization, um, colonizing these slaves, colonizing these countries. We're built on or a country where a black person is considered three-fifths of a person. So if we didn't have a person to look down on or a, a population to look down on, that's how our country was built. So they need this population to keep having their supremacist behavior. How can you be, how can you have this supreme behavior if there's nothing that you can deem or make people focus on that's beneath you? We're built on supremacy. Oh, everything is just so depressing.
So can I give you a number? Uh, <laughs> yes, please. Uh, so, so in California, California has more than any other state. California mm -hmm. alone, let's talk about them, has the biggest gap between education and prison spending. So mm. like paying, paying just under $12,000 for a student mm -hmm. as opposed to $80,000 per incarcerated person. However, that number goes way higher in California if you have any medical ailments. And if you have, if you are, I think I believe the number is like ages 50 or 55 and above. Um, but period, in general, that goes well into the 100,000. So again, just under 12,000 for a student that, our, that you and me, that our taxes are going to for our kids, our future, um, but then 80,000 plus for incarcerated people. And America is 27th in healthcare, 27th yep. in education in the world, mm -hmm. but number one mm -hmm. in incarceration. And those numbers have a causal relationship between each other. Why don't people see that? I mean, this is just so, it's so clear, right? Like it's so, it's so clear to me. And again, I always say on my show, I'm like, follow the money, right? Like you ever look, you ever look, look for, you know, you want to understand something because you're trying to understand it with your rational brain and it's not clicking. It's like, just follow the money, right? Who yeah. is getting rich, right? Like we're in a situation right now where, you know, one of the other announcements with regard to prisons were um, the low level offenders, nonviolent uh, offenders, right? That, are be that were being released and are continuing to be released, right? Uh, because of the spread uh, uh, of the virus. And I'm thinking to myself, so we needed a virus to have released, like why were they, in why were they still in prison, right? If you could see fit and you're looking at these people and you're saying, huh, well, they're not violent. They've paid a large part of their debt to society, whatever, whatever that actually means. Because it seems as if you enter into the criminal justice system, you are just made to pay the debt for the rest of your life, right? Because you have a mark, like a scarlet letter on you that is like, I have been in prison, which means that now employment is hard, healthcare is hard, all of everything becomes harder. And it, you, you, it seems as if you never pay off that debt. But I think to myself, why wasn't the why? Why wasn't the decision made before, right? Our prisons are overcrowded as it is. And I, the federal I, government tried to step in. The federal government stepped in in 2007 because the CDCR, the prisons were so overcrowded. And instead of them releasing people, they started shipping them out of states, shipping them from prison to prison daily, sending all the women into one prison and then putting the men into a whole nother prison. So their answer to the overcrowding was shipping and privatizing prisons, shipping them to more private prisons and making sure that people were still incarcerated. I think what it was who says it best is Meek Mill. Meek Mill says that the judge just kills you on paper. And so like what we're doing mm. is we're, we're, we're killing people on paper. We're just, we're giving these sentences, we're writing out these, we're putting on these documents that these people are the worst of the society, they cannot be redeemed, they, 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 they basically we shouldn't have a chance. And they give you this paper, they give you this sentence, you're off. And now once you're off, you go serve your time in prison, you come home, you're going to be on parole for three years. It depending yep. on your sentence. If you're a lifer, you might be on lifetime parole, five-year parole, seven-year parole. During those times, you cannot vote. You cannot choose who is the person that you want to endorse to make better decisions, who's going to have your well-being at hand. You, mm -hmm. you have a hard time obtaining employment. You're going to have a hard time getting a job. And let's say you are a person with no support. There comes the recidivism rate because now the government doesn't help you. The, the, the companies that they have given the funding for the housing, 
they're constantly losing their funding because they have misappropriated the funds. So people are losing their housing money, trying to figure out where they're going to live. And this is an ongoing cycle. So CDCR keeps giving the money to Westcare. Westcare was a national company, takes the money, gives it to a, 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 another entity, which is one of their own companies. And so the, the, and, and the money just, like you say, follow the money. How come they never have funding? How come people never have housing? Yep. How come people keep going back to jail? Because of the systems and the rehabilitative systems that they put in place do not work. They took on CDCR in 2007 to combat the, the carceral rate in the state and they took on this R, but the R is not working. And you got more money for the R. All it is is a letter. It's not doing anything. And you have no systems in place to sustain these people when they come home. Danielle, you mentioned uh, uh, the nonviolent violent disparity. Um, mm -hmm. I, I want to tell the uh, if I could say something to Please. our our listeners about that. So once we when we when we do that, when we say uh, to to society, when they say let out the only nonviolent low level offenders, and, and offenders is a term that I don't use. I'm only using it for context. It's very dehumanizing. Mm -hmm. Um, I was called an offender, inmate, prisoner for a long, long time, and that took away my identity. So I just want to say that for myself real quick. But when we say that, make that disparity, we're, once again, what we do is we marginalize the marginalized. And um, I want to share about my, my mentor. My mentor is 68 years old. Um, he has been incarcerated 42 years. He was given a seven-year-to-life sentence in 1977, uh, 1978. And that meant that after seven years, he was able to go to, he was eligible to go to parole board, which he did. And they keep denying him. It's been 42 years now. He hasn't had a single disciplinary infraction in over 30 years. Um, so my point is, if a person committed a quote unquote violent act 10, 20, 15, 40 plus years ago, it doesn't mean that they're violent today. Right. Um, and, and, you know, if I got in a fight in high school, does that mean I'm a violent person today, whether I'm in prison or not? So when we look at what violence is and reevaluate how we use that term and who we label that term to, it'll be, it's very like, even when we look at factually. So I was sentenced at 18 years old to 25 years to life as a quote unquote violent offender. 16 years later, the same judge that sentenced me to 25 to life resentenced me to three years and released me that day, didn't put me on parole or probation. She said, you're, this is a year ago. She says, you're free after serving 16 years. And I got out as a quote unquote violent offender labeled technically. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so my, my point is that when we look at this and we look at facts again, look at numbers again, that the safest population factually, the safest population to release are the people who have served life or lengthy sentences. Um, under Governor Brown, the previous eight years of our state uh, before Governor Newsom, um, there's been about five plus 5,000 plus lifers, meaning people who were serving life sentences in prison, were freed either under, either, either under legislation or the governor commuted by his executive power, uh, um, by his power to release them. The recidivism rate for, for that 5,000 plus lifers has been less than 1%. And those, that recidivism has been like violations like, okay, you're supposed to go to your transitional home, arrive at 10 o'clock, you arrived at 10.30. Those, those types of violations, not new crimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, the, so factually, the safest population to release are the ones who are quote unquote violent. Sadly, the, the quote nonviolent low level uh, drug offenses or, or those offenses that, that people come out on, they do have the highest recidivism rate. And that's because again, linked to housing and employment that our government has failed to provide. You know, what is it that the both of you, you know, for the Woke AF audience that is, that is listening, 
What would you say to them if they are interested in becoming advocates, in getting involved? Um, what they can, what can they do? That's one. And two, how do we stay up to date with what is happening with the prison population and the virus? Because I also believe much in the way that the government is lying about a lot of things um, that we're also not going to get the facts here. So how, how do we look to be informed as well? So I'm, I know like right now, the way that Represent Justice is operating, they're constantly putting out information as it relates and pertains to people who are incarcerated. Um, and, I, and for people to get involved, you can get involved to represent justice or you can also get involved with your local organizations. So any grassroots organization that's doing work in a community, like they're gonna have the answers, especially if it's, a, it's a, if it's an organization that is directly working with the formerly or currently incarcerated population, they know their people. And if people, so I also look at who's leading the, the movement. So if you go to an organization and they're talking about people who are incarcerated, but you see no formerly incarcerated people at the helm of the movement, they might, like I would look for the organizations that are really using the people who have been a part of the, I don't wanna say the problem, but who have been, who have, who have been affected by these systems and join mm -hmm. your grassroots organizations. like. That's uh, get in contact with your with your legislators. Like, learn about policy. If you learn about how policies move and what's needed to get policies off the ground, I think that that will spark people to want to be more involved because you'll now know how your voice matters and what they're not doing and how we need to vote and how we need to make sure that we have people who have our best interests at the helm of making decisions. Yeah, and I would add uh, add to that. Well said, April. Thank you. Um, I, I would add to that that. First and foremost, most basic, like you're doing, like we're kind of doing right now, educate yourself on these issues, not just um, public opinion, um, mm -hmm. but go look at facts, go look at numbers. Um, and so, yes, obviously you can Google it, but people like April and I represent justice and our organizations, Restore Justice, um, are in the front lines, on the front lines, fighting and putting out information and, and are going like talking to the governors, talking to people in power. Um, so one, if educate yourself, either Google it, Google information, watch things on TV, but also follow us on social media. I'm posting a lot of uh, constant updates and, and rhetoric and, and just uh, constant information on my Twitter. If I could just plug that in, is that okay? Yeah, hey. please. Yes, of course. I'm gonna, I was gonna say, please tell folks how they can follow you, follow you both uh, and, and the, your organizations. Yeah, my, my uh, organization is Restore Justice. Um, you can just, that's just Restore Justice on Twitter, Instagram, even Facebook. My, my personal account on Instagram, and I'm more active on Twitter, um, and which is A-K-H-A-N-1437. So that's A-K-H-A-N-1437. And I'm constantly posting about, just like I said, updates and, and information and different angles to look at things of our prison population, especially in this time of COVID-19. The other thing I would say to people is, for example, Danielle, if, if where you live, if I was a representative in your district, meaning I represent you, Danielle, but I don't mm -hmm. represent your values or your morals or your ethics at all, mm -hmm. and I'm making decisions, I'm making decisions on your behalf, then why am I in this position? And not saying why have you uh, directly put me in this position by either your vote or even if you didn't vote, if you didn't that's, vote. Still, mm -hmm. that's still a yes for me. Come on. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you didn't vote, that's still a yes for me. And the person that does not represent your values, your ethics, your morals. 
And so I really want to encourage everyone where you live right now, Google who is your local council member, representative, state, senator, assembly member, um, your you know, Congress member, like figure that person out. Does that person value you and what you and your community need? If not, don't vote for them. And second, vote for the other person. And if there is another person, then you run on that platform. Let us, people who are impacted, run on that platform and we'll represent you properly. Unfortunately, that's not happening. And so people really don't understand the importance of voting, importance of getting political. We have power, people power, and we have to exercise it. It's in our hands, it's in our ability. Let's go, let's do it. I appreciate the both of you so very much. Thank you, April and Adnan for joining Woke AF. Um, I hope that you both will come back again to, to keep us updated on things that we can do. I like to provide the Woke AF Nation with opportunities to get involved people feel incredibly powerless right now um and just in general before even before the coronavirus people were feeling disempowered um because of the current political climate and so um any way that people can get involved and understand uh what is happening in places that we don't discuss i like to bring to folks so thank you both very much for joining thank you for the work that you do and i hope that you'll come back again soon Thank you. All right, folks, that is it for me today on Woke AF Daily. As I have been saying, we are running a two-for-one special. So when you subscribe to my podcast, PM Mood, where I talk to innovators, changemakers, artists, activists, and folks about how they're utilizing their social platform to increase their social good, you get Woke AF Daily for free. Share it with your friends. Tell folks to get on the Woke AF bandwagon. It is running for two weeks. So subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. All right, folks. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. And safe as fuck. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home with every cbd product claiming to do something different it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you lazarus naturals pioneered the farm to front door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality potency and consistency scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality visit lazarusnaturals.com today lazarus naturals committed to improving your life as well as the world around you Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash TheShot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime Annual Plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply.